hostage negotiation is one of the most difficult conversations on the planet. But at the end of the day, it's just a conversation. Gotcha. It's just you trying to demonstrate that you understand what the impact of the conversation and the impact of the situation and the impact of the outcome is going to be on the other person. And as the leader, you're doing the same thing. Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is the odd man. Greetings and salutations, folks. I'm Wadley Stevenson, and you're checking out the Audacious Living Podcast, hands down the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. And uh, I really appreciate you being here with us as we continue our ongoing goal of helping our listeners live their best audacious lives ever. As always, I encourage you to to follow us on our social media channels. You can connect with us there. Uh, You also can subscribe uh, to us on YouTube. And if you're watching uh, this episode on YouTube, then you know it's just a matter of tapping that bell down below and you're connected to all good things audacious related. Now, in my mind, the job of a hostage negotiator has to be one of the most fascinating jobs out there. I mean, and I I don't want to take what they do lightly by any stretch of the means uh, because they are uh, they do have a critical job you know within law enforcement with respect to serving the public and, and keeping people safe but you know at the same time it's, it's just a really 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 cool job and it's so unique in so many ways and uh, and and it's just one of these natural one of these things i have a natural curiosity about them and so i'm really happy uh, to to have Derek Gaunt on this episode of the podcast as a former now hostage negotiator himself, um, you know, look if anyone if you ever wondered about the job of what a hostage negotiator is, man, this is a great episode because uh, Derek has been uh, he served for twenty years working in that field uh, in Washington D.C. area. And uh, him being here on the Audacious Living Podcast is fabulous because uh, he gives him an opportunity to talk about his very fabulous career, but also the insights that he's been able to, to glean that from from his job as uh, negotiating uh, the release of hostages and all that comes with that. So he offers some really, really great perspectives I think uh, you all will appreciate as well. You know, he'll identify the similarities that exist between the work of a hostage negotiator and, and that of leadership. Really, really insightful stuff that I think, again, like I said, you'll all appreciate. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Derek Gaunt. Enjoy. Hey, Derek, thank you for joining me today here on the Audacious Living Podcast. It's a pleasure to uh, spend some time chatting with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Oddly. Thank you for the the invite and... uh, and hopefully we can get through this, provide some quality information for sure. your uh, subscribers and uh, 
have them level up, if you will, their interpersonal communications. There you go. Well, well, uh, and, and we're going to expand on the leveling up aspect from the communication standpoint. Uh, your background is as, as a hostage negotiator. You do a lot of that, right? In terms of being able to relay a message and and, and, and sort of get people to hear you and you hear them. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, but I, maybe as a starting point, um, because I don't know if people necessarily would make that connection between uh, hostage negotiation skills and then being a good leader in the work environment. Uh, if we sort of talk about how those two correlate and how they connect, really. Well, in, in, a, in a leadership environment, you are going to have difficult conversations. There's just no way around it. You're right. probably doing it daily. Right. And um, that's all a hostage negotiation is, is a difficult conversation. We're trying to move a person from point A to point B. Right. And that's what you're doing in leadership oftentimes. In fact, leadership, I would beg to tell you that it's probably harder because you're, you're, you're blade running in that you have to keep, if you're doing your job effectively, you have yeah. to keep the, the vision of the organization right. in mind along with the needs of your direct reports. And sometimes that's a hard job to do. I call it blade running because... Think of yourself running on a on a on a blade on a knife. Right. You know, if you fall to one side or the other, you're going to get cut. So you have to be nimble. Right. And so th that that's where the correlation is. Uh, hostage negotiation is one of the most difficult conversations on the planet. But at the end of the day, it's just a conversation. Gotcha. It's gotcha. just you trying to demonstrate that you understand what the impact of the conversation and the impact of the situation and the impact of the outcome is going to be on the other person. And as the leader, you're doing the same thing. You know, it's easy for you to go in, hands on your hips and say, do this because I said so. Right. But right. you're trying to create a collaborative environment where you generate a team that's not doing something because you said so, but they're doing it right. because they want to. Correct. And, and, and gone are those models. I mean, once upon a time, that command and control model in the, in the workplace environment and the leadership context was popular. And many thought that was the way you had to do it. But as, as we moved along, we recognized in terms of being the most effective way of bringing people along with you with the ride and they're part of the journey and you give them the opportunity to provide their own input, their own feedback, be a part of the process. It, it, it's, it's needed, right? So that's where the a big difference is. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. You said it was popular. I would submit to you that it's still popular. Mm, okay. You know, there, there, there should be no reason for you to, to invite a guest like me on your podcast. And yet there is. There should be no reason for yep. Simon Sinek to be writing the numerous number of books that he's written on, on emotional intelligence in the workplace, but he does. We've been talking about emotional intelligence in the business world and its importance for almost 30 years. Right, right. And here we are in 2022 talking about the same stuff. Right. And so it's still pretty, it's still pretty prevalent, which is unfortunate, but it keeps me employed. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, I wonder, if, I wonder, Derek, if you sort of talk about the, the the mindset of a hostage negotiator as you're walking into a situation and you're you're, you're negotiating. You know, I mean, it's there's a lot going on. I would imagine there, there's people's uh, lives that you have to take into account. Uh, there's safety. There's a bunch of things happening that you've got to be mindful of. What sort of is the? I'm assuming you're, you're, there, there's an assessment of the situation of some sort, and you're you're, you're not necessarily making jump into quick conclusions because you need to gather information. I want to sort of talk about what that kind of process looks like for you. All right. So the, the process basically is um, the call will go out 
that we've got an incident. Yep. And as, as the commander of the hostage negotiations team, what I want to know before I even get there is what is the relationship between taker and takee? If it is an actual hostage, somebody else is actually being held against their will. Right. The first question I want asked and answered is, what's the relationship between taker and takee? That's going to give me a snapshot with how long this job is probably going to go gotcha. and how difficult it's going to be. And what I mean by that is, um, the guy that walks into a convenience store and gets interrupted in the middle of a robbery, mm -hmm. his immediate inclination is going to be, I'm going to snatch this clerk and I'm going to look out the window and tell the cops, don't come in. Right. There's no previous relationship between him and that clerk. And those are the easiest to work. I can work those all day with my eyes closed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Second scenario. The call goes out and they tell me that the estranged husband was waiting for his wife to arrive at her place of business. He accosts her in the parking lot, marches her into her place of business with a gun in her back, looks at the receptionist and says, call 911 and then takes her into a back office. That is a problem. That is probably not going to end well for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a previous relationship. Right. Number two, he called us to the scene. That's never good. Gotcha. Got you. And so to your point, yeah, that's where my assessment starts. But you also made a very good point in that we don't make a lot of assumptions. We just need a, a snapshot of the right. assessment so we have a jumping off point. So we can start to evaluate progress if there is any as we move through um, this thing. And so once we get on the phone, we get on the phone with the curious mindset. Gotcha. We're getting on the phone assuming that we have something else to learn because the fact of the matter is we do. And so that curious mindset does a couple of things. It, it keeps us present yes. during the conversation, trying to learn judgment-free and it prevents us from getting triggered during the conversation because at some point we're going to get attacked verbally. Right, 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 right. And so to keep me from getting triggered during that attack, I stay curious because your brain can't work in two different directions at the same time. You can't be angry and curious at the same time. You have to make a choice. Right. And then, and right. that's a hard uh, pill for a lot of people to swallow is that like being happy and sad. Yeah. You both. Right. You got a choice to make, right. Be curious or be angry. You can't be both. Mm -hmm. And then the, the curiosity and accepting the fact that you're going to get attacked is, is huge. Uh, one of the other things that, that we espouse is, is venting the good, bad, and the ugly about what's, what you're going through before you get on the phone. You vent those good, bad, and ugly before you get on the phone. You minimize the chances that that stuff is going to come out during the conversation. Right, right. right. And um, and that's like background work, right? You're talking about, right? Like in terms of knowing the individual. Is that what you're, when you talk about the good, bad, and the ugly? No, I'm talking about what you're dealing with. Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, what, gotcha. You're, what you're dealing with gotcha. internally. What's, what gotcha. is your, where yes. is your head at this Where point? are you at? Yeah, you know, gotcha. You, are, are we calling you away from your daughter's three-year-old birthday? Are, are you and your wife having a spat and now you got to right. go and deal with this? So we get them to, to dump their buckets before they get on the phone. And critical of them to remember that the person with whom we're engaging is not the problem. Yes. The problem is he won't come out. Right. So how do I turn him into a teammate to help me solve this problem? That is 
That, that is our mindset going in. And if you just take the words hostage negotiation out and put in difficult leadership conversations, you can have the same, you, you yeah. can have the same level of success. For example, you've got to give a performance review that you know yep. is not going to land uh, well with right. your direct report. All right, well, you have to do the same thing. Curiosity. I know this person is your direct report, but I guarantee you that during this performance performance evaluation, there's going to be information that you uncover that you had no clue mm, about. Mm, mm. And so you go into these performance evaluations with that curiosity mindset. You go right. in knowing that because it's an emotional yes. conversation, you're going to get smacked in the face at some point, figuratively right. speaking. Right. Gotcha. And so what is your what's your, what's your response going to be you're going to stay curious and you're going to hold on and you're just going to remain silent right because right. that attack is something of importance that they're trying to convey to you gotcha and it's got a it's, it's got a huge emotional uh component and when you're in these conversations it's more important for you to demonstrate for your direct report that you understand what the lay of the land looks like from their perspective. Yep. What, what is their worldview? Because the reality is if you don't understand their worldview, you don't understand them. If you don't understand them, that conversation is not going to be as productive as it otherwise would. Right. Right. I, I got to tell you, curiosity wouldn't be the first thing that would come to my mind for in terms of a, the things that are in a toolkit or a toolbox of a hostage negotiator. So I really uh, appreciate you exploring on that, expanding on that, because as you as you describe it there, it makes total sense. Stay curious. Keep it about the other individual and, and mm -hmm. glean and gloss as much data information as possible, because I'd imagine in that situation, hostage negotiation situation, the more information that you, you can arm yourself with, the better. And what better yeah. place than to get it from the individual themselves? Exactly right. And, 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 and we look at negotiation, we look at difficult conversations as a guided discovery process. Yes. You want to know what's going to make the other side move? Listen, they're going to tell you exactly what's going to make right. the move but we uh historically have been so caught up in our own heads okay i need to make this point i need to make that point i need to infuse logic into this situation if i could only right. just explain to this person that this is not the right move to make right everything will be wonderful you know and and, and this falls in line with uh people think that what i'm talking about is when you hear something from your counterpart and you say i understand i understand i understand when have you ever said that to an individual and they looked at you and went, oh, thank God, you understand. <laughs> right, right. Because right. the I understand, right. their perspective has always been a springboard for you to jump into the conversation and tell them right. how brilliant you are. Right. Tell People equate I understand with shut up. Gotcha. Let me talk. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. as long as you are, are staying curious, you're looking for that information that's going to help you influence the person into doing what you ultimately need them to do. And it, and yes. it's applicable to another reason that it's applicable to the business world is we're still talking about human beings. Right. 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 And this stuff that we talk about at the black Swan group is based on the human nature response, which dictates that negative emotions, negative dynamics are the single biggest drivers of human decision-making and behavior period. 
Yes, yes, yes. You know, when, when uh, I'll even go back to the, the example you gave where you get people to empty their buckets, right? You've got to do that. And, and so these are negotiators going into a situation, they empty their buckets because, you know, they're human. We know that they're human, we know what they're carrying. So, uh, and, and, and obviously you don't want that to filter into what the situation okay. are coming into. But that, that just further, when you sort of look in the leadership context, you know, leaders have to also think about, you know, am I bringing my own sort of biases to the table, my own prejudices, my own feelings, opinions, or emotions, or am I coming in with an empty bucket? And I think that's a really good example, illustration, that we all are human, Derek. Right? Yeah, yeah, we, we all are human, and we all get angry at the same things. We When we are insulted, we get angry. When people question our competence, we get angry. When people question our integrity we get angry, all of those are likely to come out in those tough conversations. So how are you going to deal with it? You know, stay above the fray. I'm not telling you not to feel those things. I'm telling you not to re react to those. Correct. Things. Correct. And look, we're, 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 again, I'll use it. We're human, obviously, but we have to be able to make that, that separation. And I think too, when you can recognize that, uh, you know, I'm going into a situation, I'm not where I should be, maybe now not the time to have that conversation. Exactly and, and that's right. okay. That's okay. Exactly right. Exactly right? right. You, when you take it back to the, uh, the hostage negotiation uh, environment, if I detected that there was a negotiator who was dealing with some stuff, in fact, my team was so good. Here's kudos to them. My team was so good. They would tell me, uh, sir, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not wow. in the right headspace wow. to do this right now. Let me just, let me just collect intelligence on the outside. Yeah. Let, me, let me do my part in contributing to this uh, resolution by doing that. Right. And so they would even recognize when they, when they had, were holding on to too much. Yeah. Um, but it's incumbent upon, it was incumbent upon me as the boss to make sure that I monitored that and, and, and pulled those people away that maybe didn't necessarily gotcha. uh, want to. So, so I'm a bit curious. Uh, uh, how how do you determine that? So I'm on the team, and you're you've got a situation, and oddly, are you, is it is, is a direct question, or, or, or in terms of where I'm at, or how do you make yeah, that determination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll I'll label them when they arrive on the scene. Sounds like you're in a good space, and you're ready to go. Okay, okay. that's usually enough to prompt gotcha. them to say, "Yeah, I'm good to go, sir." Gotcha. Uh, there, there's nothing else that was going on. I was just working on the car when the call went out, so I'm, it's not a big deal. Gotcha. Or they'll tell me, you know, you know, I, you know, the person that gets pulled away from a third, a three-year-old's birthday, that's pretty huge. Um, and it's happened on numerous occasions. There, there's been numerous occasions throughout the course of my career where um, I miss Thanksgiving. You know, gotcha. people tend to act up around holidays. So um, I miss Thanksgiving. Uh, I miss Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. And so um, you just want to find out where their head is for the, with the example of the, of the guy missing the three-year-old's birthday, what is he thinking about when he's on the phone? Right. He, he's thinking about him not being there for his kid. He's thinking about the heat he's going to catch from his, his wife, or if it's a woman, her husband, whatever, the, the significant other, the heat that they're going to catch when they yeah. come back home. Yeah. Yeah. And that impedes their performance. This goes back to what I said earlier, negative emotions and negative dynamics drive decision-making and drive behavior. If you allow him to get or her to get on that phone in that negative frame of mind, they are actually in that moment, not as not smart really. as they can yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek, it's so funny. As you're talking about that, there have been many instances where even, even on this podcast, like, you know, I want to be here with you and I want to hear you and give you an opportunity to share. And I'm sure I've got a life in a world outside of this. And during this finite, this finite determined 
period of time that we're talking, you know, my attention should be here, but are there times when other things come in? Yeah, but I've got to push that away. So it's very yeah. similar, right? What yeah. You're talking yeah. About? yeah, yeah, without question. Yeah. without question and some people do it easier than other and it depends yeah. on the circumstances sure you know if i if the if the pager goes off or the pager listen how old i am <laughs> <laughs> i've had one i had one too don't worry <laughs> if, if, if the phone activates and lets me know that there's an event and i'm pulling somebody away from uh, from his dying dog sure you know there's 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 going to be residual stuff there that may not be conducive to Sure. quality conversation. That's right. That's right. Um, I've heard you use the, the, the term compliance professional. I wonder if you could uh, expand, expand on that a bit, because I, um, uh, I, I, I thought the first time I heard, I thought it was a very interesting term, but I want you to go on the, uh, deeper on that, please. Yeah. Okay. So when I talk about compliance professionals, that's what we all are all over the globe. I don't care what you do in life, what space you occupy, what industry you're in. We're all compliance professionals. Uh, Daniel Pink wrote the book To Sell is Human okay. in 2011. And he, in that book, he said that one in nine adults in the U.S. workforce are involved in traditional sales. Interestingly enough, the other eight out of nine are involved in non-sales selling, where they're trying to get people to bite off on an idea, a suggestion, a proposal. Right. And they're spending upwards of 40% of their day doing that. And, and so regardless of whether you're in traditional sales or you're in non-sales selling, selling is all about compliance. You are offering a good, a service or an idea and you want to get somebody else to do what? To buy, uh, i.e. Yeah. to comply. Gotcha. And so the, 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 um, the tagline, if you will, is um, hostage negotiators are the ultimate compliance professionals on the planet because we sell jail time and we get people to buy it all of the time. And when I say all of the time, it's actually about 92, 93% of the time. That's the success rate for hostage negotiators in the U.S. Right. Uh, and then if you compare and contrast that to your success rate mm -hmm. at influencing other people, right? I would say the, the best of the people who are listening or going to listen to this podcast are probably successful 35 to 40% of the time. Right. Right. which should spark the question, why is there a disparity in those numbers? Why are hostage negotiators 93% in the rest of the world, 35 to 40%? And the answer is not because we're smarter than everybody else. The answer is because we have a unique appreciation of that human nature condition that I talked yes. about earlier. Yes. Once you get your head around that, you put yourself at a distinct advantage because people now become predictable. You right. can start to predict with a certain level of accuracy, what they're going to say next, what they're going to do next. And that's huge. Right. And I would imagine being able to consciously take yourself out of your, out of the situation emotionally. So you talked earlier, if you know, people will, will attack or berate or whatever, as a hostage, you're, going, you're not taking that on personally being offended or, or putting yourself in a situation because it really isn't about them. Right. Right. It's, it's, a, it's about the circumstance. Right. You're just the closest thing to them. And so, with the attack, when it, when it starts, immediately, mm -hmm. you should ask yourself, where is this coming from? Gotcha. Because in that attack, the attack is just a manifestation of you not understanding something. Right. And so you should ask yourself, what am I missing? Because people will attack you for one of three reasons. The first reason is 
They've been trying to convey something to you or to other people and nobody is listening. And the end result is them lashing out. Yep. The second place that it comes from is you have failed to acknowledge the pressure that they're under on their side. The third place that it comes from is they're doing it to manipulate you. Got you. They're doing it to put you in a position of discomfort because as human beings, when we are uncomfortable, what we want to do faster than anything else is to get comfortable again. And people that use the attack as a manipulative ploy realize that they try to capitalize right. on that because that will put you in a position to either move away from that topic of the conversation or change your position or compromise in an area where you shouldn't compromise just so you can have that comfort level restored. But at the end of the day, when you get hit in the face with the attack, yeah. that's not the time to run away. Right. Right. You got to stay in that moment because yeah. that emotion is not going anywhere. Even yeah. if you ignore it, and pivot to somewhere else in the conversation, that bad boy is coming back yeah. to get you. So you may as well stay in the yeah. moment and deal with it there. Figure out which one you yeah. got. Yeah, it's tough. That's a tough one, right? And and again, in, in, in the hostage negotiator situation, uh, it's, it's different, but just in you know, the, the it, in, in the leadership context or in a regular personal lives or with relationships, those attacks are hard. And you, you get them and you to be able to, to analyze well, why is that happening? It's not always the easiest thing to do, and I, but I, I hear what you're saying. No, it's not the easy, but the, but the, the way to, to uncover that is simply ask them. Yeah. You know, let them go on their tirade. Give them an opportunity, as I said, to dump their bucket. All You, you have yes. to hold on, unless you're dealing with a sociopath, right. you have to hold on for 45 seconds to a minute. It's very difficult for people yeah. to fight with someone who's not fighting back. And so just take it. As uncomfortable it's going to be, understand that I'm telling you that 60 seconds is the outside. Got you. And once that attack starts to subside, yep. the first thing out of your mouth should be an apology. I'm sorry. The second thing out of your mouth should be what we call a label, where we say it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like. So it's, yes. I'm sorry. It sounds like I just said something that set you off. Right. And then a calibrated question, what caused that? Give them an opportunity to flesh it out even more. Now you're going to have to hold on again because <laughs> yes, yes. it's coming at you again, yes. but it won't be as intense and right. it won't be as long right. because now you have taken the opportunity to pick up on the non-spoken data that they're sending you. Right. And you're showing an interest. And as a leader, when you are interested, mm-hmm. you become interesting. Yes. yes. And because you're showing a certain level of deference and subordination to them mm-hmm. in your early engagement in the conversation, now you're obligating them to show it to you on the yes. back end. That's one of the most powerful aspects of tactical empathy is that it encourages reciprocity. Yes. They'll never admit it. They won't even recognize it but they'll feel it. And that's what we want them to do is to right. feel it. Yeah. You know, and I, I was definitely going to ask you about tactical empathy specifically, because uh, when you sort of think of all the, the, the tools in our toolbox that can be used, uh, that's a very, very effective one, as you just illustrated. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, it's your ability to recognize their perspective. That's the first part of it. The second part of it, the most important part of it, is to articulate that recognition. 
Mm. And what I mean by that, you will sit down across from someone else and know what's going on with them, but we're often afraid to speak it into the air. Gotcha. Your intuition, your subconscious will never betray you. It's kept human beings alive for thousands of years. Your subconscious brain, and this is from the book, The Biology of Belief. Mm -hmm. um, Lipton, Dr. L I think Bruce Lipton is the author. He said that your conscious brain processes 40 bits of information per second. Okay. Your subconscious brain, your intuition processes 20 million bits of information per second. That's a 5,000 to one ratio. That's you knowing something without knowing how you nice. know it. Right. But because we don't know how we know it, we're afraid to speak it into the air because we're right. afraid of embarrassing. Or, tr or trust it, right? Or, or, or trust it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're afraid of embarrassing ourselves. We're afraid of generating an adverse response. We're afraid of yes. being wrong. And so yes. we keep it to ourselves. Well, the problem with that is that if you don't articulate it, I don't know that you get it. That's right. And all of us have an almost unquenchable thirst to have someone else understand what our perspective is, what we're going through, what the what what our circumstances are. Gotcha. The sooner you're able to do that, the faster those bonds begin to uh, connect. Got you, Derek. I gotta I gotta go back because um, uh, hostage negotiation it's a very specific area in law enforcement. Was it was 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 that the the plan when you started in no. law enforcement? Because you had like a thirty year career. Like, how no. how did you how did you land there, and how did it make sense for you? Because it's got to make sense for you too. At the same time, not anyone can just say I want to do this, right? You look there's specific things that you need to be able to be effective. Well, yeah, there's there's uh, we have so we we call them selection processes. And so if you wanted to become a hostage negotiator, it was just like applying for another job. You had to compete with other individuals. Sure. And let's and and the role of a hostage negotiator, the role the role of a SWAT operator, are as far as law enforcement is concerned, are the sexiest games in town. Okay, everybody wants to be a part of that. So we think of a, police in them of themselves are A types. Okay, SWAT operators and hostage negotiators are A types or the A types. We are the people that the police exactly. call when they get in trouble. Gotcha. Right, yeah. and so. I only throw that out there to tell you that it's very competitive. Everybody wants to be a, a part of it. So we have a selection process where there's a panel interview. We'll throw through, through, we'll throw them through a couple of scenarios and then we'll grade their performance, evaluate them. We'll put them into one of three categories and we, mm -hmm. we, we will select from the top category. If that's exhausted before all vacancies are filled, then we'll go to the, the next category. Right. Um, but how it happened for me, um, you know, I started, my law enforcement career in 88. Um, and that was, that was during cracks heyday. Yes. And, yes. um, yes. at the time there, there, there was a war on drugs that yes. I believed in my, my, my opinion on that has changed drastic, drastically as I've gotten older, right. but anyway, right. uh, you couldn't tell me then because I was 23 years old, my hair was on fire and I was ready to rock and roll. Right. And so, uh, I, I spent 18 months as a patrol officer before I got pulled for a specialized assignment on the street level narcotics unit. And, um, our job was to go out and watch for drug deals. We jump out of the car. We jump out the out of these old beater cars. You know, you didn't. Only the only people that really knew we were the police were the people that lived in that community. 
people just driving by would mm -hmm. see us on the street and they would call in routinely. Hey, there's some guy getting kidnapped here uh, by four guys. They right. just threw handcuffs on him and right. threw him in the car. And, and right. we've got nothing on us except the badge hanging around our neck. So um, when we get those folks down to the station, I, I found out that um, I liked being able to speak with people who were not inclined to speak with me not inclined to speak with me because they were afraid of their own penal interests, uh, not inclined to speak with me because they didn't want to be viewed as a snitch That's right. or not inclined to speak with me because, you know, they were a victim of a crime. Right. And so I had to figure out how do I communicate with these people to build some trust so that they right. will share information with me that I need. And I knew, and I learned then that I could say specific things in a specific manner to elicit specific responses. And I thought that's pretty cool. And so what's the next level for that? Because I want to learn how to do that better. Yeah, oh, yeah. I need to become a detective. So I applied for the detective bureau and I got selected to the detective bureau and now I've taken my interview and interrogation skills to a new level. Right. But I was always hungry for more. This idea of being able to communicate with people and to be able to listen for hidden nuggets of information intrigued me. And so the next level that I was going to be able to uh, do that at a, at a higher uh, rate and um, with more psychological background was as a hostage negotiator. So in 97, uh, the opportunity presented itself. I competed, I got selected and I didn't look back after that. Wow. Wow. It, 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 it's, I, I, I like the idea, the approach or mindset, like, you know, how can I take it at the next level using these skill sets? So there was, a, there, you started a base foundation and how do you build on that and, 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 uh, and, and advance yourself? Uh, because it does take a specific set of, of skills. But as I say that out loud, I think of that movie, um, uh, taken where you know Liam Nielsen, Nielsen goes, I've got a specific <laughs> set of skills, right? But it yeah. is, they are, they're very, very specific in what's needed to be effective at it, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just, and you're, and there was probably some baseline aptitude there for me. Sure. Um, I was always, regardless of who I was arresting when I was in the narcotics unit, I treated the people like they were people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. And that, that, yeah. that, that yeah. that wasn't that wasn't across the board yes. uh, at, in police work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, as a young patrol officer, my sergeant came to me one time and he said, "Hey, I need to ask you a question." I said, "Sure, Sarge. What's up?" He goes, "Why is it that you can go on a domestic violence call? You can get the information from both parties. The next thing I know, you're whispering into the primary aggressor's ear." And they're turning around voluntarily and putting their hands behind their back and letting you apply handcuffs. Wow. And I can send Officer B to the to the same call, and he winds up rolling down the steps with some guy every single time. Why is that? Right. And I said, Sergeant, I mean, think about the circumstances. I'm coming into this grown man's house. Yes. In front of his family. Yes. And taking him out of his house. What kind of psychological effect is that going to have on him? Yeah. He knows he stepped in it. What, what purpose am I going to gain or, or what purpose would I have in exacerbating the situation by, by treating him like right. he was less than? And so I said, that's, that's my method. Just treat them like they want to be treated. Right, right, right. It's that, that method, someone would call it a superpower, right? Because it's not, 
it's 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 unique to you, and and, and I'm glad you sort of gave an illustration that it's not normal across the police force because uh, it I, I can see where it's not. People come in with this mindset: I'm coming in here, I got to take this guy out, I got to defuse the situation, and, and that's it. And it's just one way of one one way approaching. Obviously, there are different ways of doing things, right? <laughs> but there's yeah. ways that are more effective than others, I would say. Right, and but to back to your earlier point, I didn't come out of the womb like this. This is this is learned behavior. And so my point in telling you that is just because it's not, or at the time it was not practiced across the board in right. law enforcement, it doesn't mean it's because they can't do it. It means they chose not to for whatever reason. You know, they've got bad role models that they're emulating or, or um, you know, they, they, they don't have specific experiences with certain segments of the population. And as a result, they're operating from a position of fear and that's what's driving their behavior, whatever the case may be. But my point is, I'm not special. I can teach you to do exactly what I did. Gotcha. I can teach someone, I, I taught members of the China Development Bank these skills in Germany. Now I want you to get your head around that. I don't speak Chinese and I don't speak German. And I'm flying to Germany to teach process right. negotiations, practices, and principles to executives from the China right. Development Bank at one of the most prestigious business schools in Europe. Right. And so if I can teach it to them, I can teach it to anybody. And, and one important point I wanted to make is that I, I often hear, well, that's all interesting, but it wouldn't work in my environment. And you fill in the blanks as to what that environment is. I, it won't work in this community. It won't work because, you know, that's not the way we talk in Finland. We're, we're or different or we do. All right, got you. Got you. And what they fail to realize is that this stuff, as I mentioned before, it's not predicated on skin color or what color of the or corner of the globe you come from. Right. Um, hostage negotiators in Tokyo, in Tel Aviv, in South Africa, in Frankfurt, in London, Colombia, Canada, the U.S., we're all trained in the same skill set. Right. Why is that? How, how can that be? Why would it not work in your environment if they're taught the same thing all over the globe? And they're taught the same thing all over the globe because it's based on that human nature response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, things like listening, you talk about tactical empathy, uh, open-minded. I'm not, I'm, we sort of touched on that a little bit, but being open-minded, you know, not having preconceived notions, uh, you know, again, listening. Those are all, all, all things uh, that beneficial to us regardless of the situations, but humans interacting with humans, those are all things that can aid in the relationship and advancing. Absolutely, absolutely. If we, if we could just get out of our own way and stop worry, worrying about where we want to end up at the conclusion of the conversation. Yes. Put that in the back seat and just listen. That's the cheapest and most effective concession you can make one person to another. Yes. And for most of the human race, it's hard to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. If you're talking, you are not right. learning. That is, that's the bottom line. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, you're, you're, you're already in your mind thinking about what you want to, I, like I stopped listening to you two minutes ago, Derek, because I got my more, you know, my formulation of my thoughts of what I'm going to tell you. And the moment you take a breath, I'm jumping in, right. As opposed right. to allowing the conversation, which is reciprocated because both parties are going back and forth. Right. Yeah. Most people view conversations as, as like a tennis, tennis match. You yes. go, then I go, you go, I go, you go, I go. Right. And we want to break up that sequence. Take a second. 
and ask yourself, why did he just say that? Why yes. did she just ask that? Because I will tell you that what people say and what they mean often do not line up. Fair enough. Yeah. The questions that they ask are often terrible questions. They ask question A and they want the answer to question B. If, if, and, and, and we are trained as soon as we hear a question, provide an answer. Well, I don't want you to do that. As soon as you hear a question, I want you to, to say to that person, it sounds like you have a reason for asking. Mm -hmm. And when you hit them with, it sounds like you have a reason for asking, the reason for asking will have nothing to do with the original question. Right. Example, if I ask you, Audley, what are you doing tonight at five o'clock when you get off work? Immediately, what happens to you internally? What happens to you internally is you get defensive. Because you're asking yourself, okay, how is my life going to change based on how I answer this question? Right, right. And so you're already, I've already put you in a negative state by asking that question. You're not sure where I'm going with the question. So, but so instead of responding with exactly what you plan on doing at five o'clock when you get off, yep. your response to me is going to be, it sounds like you have a reason for asking. And then you will find that my response to you will be, yeah, I do have a reason for asking. My right. car is in the shop and I was wondering if you'd give me a ride. Right. And you're thinking to yourself, well, stupid, why didn't you just ask me for Say a ride? That. Why did, why did <laughs> we have to go around the block to right. get to that? Because right. people ask terrible questions. And so before, get out of this habit of having to respond or wanting to respond immediately after they say something or ask something and make sure that you understand what the motivation is behind it. Got you. Got you. Uh, Derek, we absolutely have to touch on your book, Ego, Authority, Failure. I mean, that's right. Using emotional intelligence like a hostage negotiator yeah. to succeed. Uh, so first off, uh, did, did you see yourself being an author? Well, no, that's no not, not, not in the least bit. Um, um, now, there were there were people uh, in my corner who were probing me to do something like this for yeah. a while. Uh, but I never really thought that it would come to fruition, but the, the right time came up. I had the right team behind me. And so uh, we put the book together. Uh, so I, it was a surprise to me as much as it was to everyone else. <laughs> it's like, wait, I'm writing a book. Wait, I got a manuscript. Wait, I've got a yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. How and that it, all happened. Yeah, uh, so, so, and, and I know much of a lot of things that we touched on come from the book, but I, one thing I think uh, is important, you, you, you take some really vivid stories and illustrations uh, from your time as in, in law enforcement and you, and you sort of weave that into, into your book. I want you to sort of talk about that approach and why, why you saw value in taking that approach. Um. I saw value in it because I wanted to, to establish some bona fides, so to speak, yeah. um, that I had seen great leadership. I had seen abhorrent and toxic leadership. And so I wanted to bring those stories into the book to help flesh out the actual takeaways, the actual learning content. And, and being able to tell stories like that, uh, I think, facilitates that. Um, and it makes it a little bit more interesting for the reader as opposed to putting it in, into a, a textbook right. uh, style. And I wanted to show a, a little bit of uh, a, a, a difference, if you will, between uh, what I was talking about in the leadership uh, realm and what Chris was talking about in overall sales in the business realm when he wrote Never Split right. the Difference. Right. And I wanted to provide some, uh, some comparisons and some contrasts. So that people will say, hey, not only does it work 
for me landing this $10 million merger. Yeah, right. But it also works with me managing my team of tech people uh, who tend to be difficult to deal with because they're tech people, tech people. Gotcha. And though they're only interested in ones and zeros. And so when you start talking to them about relationships and communication, Emotion, like feelings, they, and yeah, they, they, they start I to, try to hear that, right? Yeah. They start to, to, to wig out, but I wanted to show that uh, especially the leaders that, and, and well, let me, let me back up. Not especially the leaders. I wanted to show everybody that this is not for one specific area it's not for one specific type of conversation it applies in every single conversation every single difficult conversation so what makes a conversation difficult if i want or i need or in your head or in the head of your counterpart it's going to be a difficult conversation replete with negative emotions and dynamics gotcha Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I encourage our listeners to uh, uh, certainly pick up a copy of your book. I wonder if you should explain the title, Ego, Authority, or Failure. How did you land on that as a title, Derek? Uh, Because those are the three things that I was exposed to most. Mm. Ego was always supported about a person's position within the organization, their authority. Um, and if they didn't keep those two things in check, ego and authority, it always led to leadership failure. And so that's how I, I, I landed on that. Ego is an emotion tied to fear. Authority supports yes. and feeds ego. And I'm not here to tell you that ego and authority are 100% evil every time across the board. Right. They're not. Sometimes yeah. your ego and authority have to be on full display, especially Absolutely. in exigent circumstances. Yes. The problem with most leaders is they view every circumstance as exigent and it's not. Right. Right. And so in, in, if you don't keep those two things, ego and authority in check, failure is the result. Awesome. Well, look, Derek, I, I, so first off, it's been a great conversation. Thank you uh, for, for letting your expertise and really opening up uh, our, our understanding. You know, like I said, off the top, the correlations are there. Uh, and you've, you, I think you've done a, a great job weaving them, certainly in this conversation, but also in your book. And I would encourage our, our, our listeners to, to, to check that out. Where can we send if they want to get more information about you, Derek, or, or even get a copy of your book? Uh, well, the book is available, Amazon, Kindle, Audible, um, and uh, it's, it's read in my voice. I know a lot of people have books out there that are read in actors' voices, mm. and, um, much to the dismay of the people that purchase. So it's, it's in my voice. Uh, so that gives it a little bit more bang for the buck. Yep. Um, if you want to email info at blackswanltd.com, go to our website, you can email for specific questions. Go to our website. We've got a, a boatload of free resources to start getting your head around what it means to demonstrate tactical empathy and the tools that are necessary to, to do it effectively. Gotcha. Great. I, and also should say, we were remiss all commenting on Black Swan and the way that you were able to take your transition, your career after you finished with law enforcement and to now use those wisdoms, those learnings, that knowledge in, in this realm. I think it's fantastic and thank you. commend you on that because that's thank a, you very to much. give back that's in that way is a, a wonderful thing. Again, Derek, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Audley. Appreciate all the best. it. Thank you. Thanks, man. 
back. We are here on the podcast, and I really got to send a big time shout out and thanks for being here to Derek for being here with us and really opening up our eyes into the world of, of a hostage negotiator. There's so much little intricacies that he touched on, uh, you know, things like communication, your frame of mind, um, you know, how they approach a situation, um, their approach, their game plan, all sorts of things that feed into and are important to, uh, to what they do, and maybe perhaps things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, uh, i.e., curiosity. Um, and being open to, to, to listening, all important things. And so I'm glad Derek, Derek touched on that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You know, when I, I think back to my conversation with Derek, uh, he really left us with a, a ton of great points. But if there's just one thing that I would take from our chat, it would be this. Effective communication involves the exchange of viewpoints and in some cases, opposing positions. If you're not willing to open up your mind to another's perspective, our common ground is going to be really, really tough to find. A key aspect to, to finding that elusive common ground requires us to listen so that we really consider someone else's position and what message they're trying to convey. Listening more and with curiosity not only helps you to connect better and understand with what's being said, but it also provides a valuable, valuable input on how you may frame your response and actually navigate the conversation. It can help you tune into your topics uh, that your colleague is passionate about as well. Now, mastering this important aspect of communication over time will help to, to cultivate trust, it will build connection, and develop audacious relationships. Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com. All you've got to do is enter in your email address and you'll be immediately connected to all good things audacious related. We've sadly come to the end of another episode of the podcast. Uh, and as always, I got to send out a big, big shout out and thanks to our, our amazing listeners, all those lovers of audaciousness. Thank you for continuing to ride with us and offering that tremendous support. I can't say enough how much it's appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.